0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters right here on SelfDiscoveryMedia.com. I'm your host, Sara Troy, and my guest today is Matt Rosenberg. He says, what's next for Chicago? These are notes of a pissed off native son. He lived here 30 years and then he moved away. And when he came back last year, he was very disappointed with what he saw. He said in the fall of 2020, amidst the riots, the looting, the alarming uptick in the senseless killings, he says that as a journalist returning to his native Chicago to see his city can dig itself out of the hot mess it's become over decades of liberal governments. Uh, It's uh, broken, the urban progressive government badly undermines those who claim and uh, claims to lift it. So, you know, Chicago is known for many, many things. It's a city that is well loved. Um, But yes, Violence seems to be on the uptake. And it's something that one never wants to see one city go through. And having been away from it, living in Seattle, another great city, and then going back and seeing it, it's always when we go back that we see things in a different light, isn't it? And uh, Mm -hmm. that different light isn't always the light that we want to see. Welcome to the show, love.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's really nice to be with you. Um, And it was uh, quite a series of circumstances that led me to come back uh, 2020 was a remarkable year, uh, quite clearly in in the history of uh, let's say North America at the very least. Mm-hmm. And watching what was going on in in Chicago uh, from my home in Seattle, the rioting and the looting, I, I felt that I I had to go beyond the news stories. I wasn't really getting enough of the right information, and so toward. Uh, Toward the end of October of 2020, I moved back in and uh, I settled into Bridgeport, which uh, may not mean much to your uh, viewers, but I'll explain. Um, That is the ancestral home of all of Chicago's Irish mayors, which number five and include the two dailies. And a lot of the city's history is packed into the neighborhood of Bridgeport. It's on the near south side of the city. And it was a good starting point from which to venture deeper into the south side, uh, which is uh, one locus of the black population in Chicago. And uh, there I went into people's homes and workplaces and literally asked them, what next Chicago? Mm -hmm. Also, how did we get here and while I'm here, tell me your life story. And mm. so I found a lot that dismayed me, but I also found reasons for hope in mm. some of those personal stories and 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 we can get into that um, later on.
0: Mm. Um when we just look blanket at something, we only really see the trouble. And we right. don't see the abundance behind it because let's mm-hmm. face it, news loves to sell all the, the discord, it doesn't give the good stories. Right. But when you do go in and take the time and the respect to listen to other people's stories, yes, they may speak mm-hmm. about the troubles, but it's the underlying enrichment that is there. If we brought mm-hmm. that enrichment to the surface, maybe we wouldn't have so many troubles.
1: I think... In, in a way, that's precisely right, Sarah. I think that we need to literally ferret out success stories mm-hmm. and support the people who are trying to live with what I call moral authority. Mm-hmm. And in a way, this project forced me to take stock of what really matters in life, mm-hmm. because here I was. Trying to make sense out of uh, you know 769 murders in one year, oops, sorry, it was 770. I, they, they updated the figures. Uh, 1,400 armed carjackings, oh which God. is a particularly horrible type mm. of crime. You can imagine what it must be like as a victim. Yes. Um, and and that figure was some 130 percent greater than the number of carjackings in chicago the prior year of 2019 so and i think we all know what flipped the switch uh, somehow after the horrible and heinous death of george floyd under the knee of that minneapolis police officer but you know i think that in a way occasions a difficult but necessary conversation. Mm -hmm. My own view is that it's entirely right to uh, insist on dramatic changes in the way that police uh, relate to suspects under pressure. And it's it's quite correct to insist upon a greater police accountability and and really probity, if you will, Mm -hmm. and ethics. In the way that they manage high pressure situations. But 2020 turned into a high pressure year all around. And so one, one additional thing that struck me is, you know, if you are upset about police brutality or about what you might call economic injustice or any one of a number of other social problems, That is not a license to loot and riot and set fires and kill uh, and shoot and maim and steal and cheat. And what we have had, sadly, is a breakdown of the social order. But then, too, how do politicians respond under pressure? And I have seen that, sadly, that our mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, a woman with actually a very impressive background, who campaigned as a corruption buster, who worked, uh, it is interesting to note, as a federal prosecutor in northern Illinois and Chicago, who actually put corrupt Chicago aldermen in jail uh, as a federal prosecutor, someone who came in Uh, Really, uh, having excited the electorate as finally a change, a breath of fresh air, uh, sadly, she went to pieces under the pressure as soon as the rioting and looting started, and everything has really gone out the window. Um, Our public schools are still mired in failure, our county court system Uh, for which others answer more than the Chicago mayor, that is still a broken system with a revolving door for violent offenders that contributes greatly to uh, the violence, which contributes greatly to people literally being afraid to come outdoors out of their houses. I mean, people say that? Yeah. Uh, And a number of other problems have persisted, including our endemic corruption, our rigged rules of governance, and our fiscal woes in our city government due to a staggering amount of public employee pension debt, which I know is an eye-glazing topic, but one which threatens the fiscal foundations of a number of our larger uh, United States cities, including New York and Chicago. Um, So we need a leader in any city like this, and I'm sure this goes for Vancouver, Montreal, Mm -hmm. Toronto, Calgary, uh, you need a leader uh, of your city government and you need a a legislative body, a city council that will not fold under pressure, that will not start to lose its collective mind, but rather will reach up for that something extra to a higher level. Uh, And uh, sadly, in Chicago, we've seen just the opposite occur starting uh, in late May of 2020. Everything went out the window, Sarah, and we're still struggling to regain our footing here in Chicago.
0: And it will be a while, unfortunately, when you get that violent cycle, you know, Mm -hmm. the the violence goes like a tornado and gathers and gathers and gathers and the eye for the eye until everyone's blind. You know, they don't realize it work. You know, that doesn't work. And, you know, and your mayor obviously in the platform that she was working in before she excelled, but clearly didn't know how to deal with the other side of it. So instead of going Mm -hmm. to pieces, bring the people in that do know how, you know, this is the time to build a team. This is the time to have that collective understanding of what to do about something. Not like, Oh my God, I don't know how to deal with this. And in everything going to hell in a basket, you know, the the pandemic um, in itself, you know, obviously has been, a crisis on its own, and then the reactions to it, and then reactions to, to George Floyd. We know that violence begets violence, but we also know, uh, for many of us know, that the violence is not the answer, and that somewhere along the line, you've got a grief, I understand it, but let's try and find a way to communicate. We hear you, we, we understand why you're mad, we understand where the injustice was, we understand where, where you know, the... Uh, that things have to change. But Mm -hmm. we're not going to change it by the gun or by the violence or by the robbery or by the looting. That just creates more problems. But also on the other side of it, these are people who don't know how to have the dialogue and their reaction is just purely to be violent and you know, mm-hmm. their frustration leads to that. And then they get caught up in that cycle of it. And it's a vicious cycle that then justifies itself. So somewhere mm-hmm. along the line, everybody needs to take a deep breath and realize none of this is working and we're willing to come to the table and start talking it out and seeing things from every angle to find a solution.
1: I agree. And there are a couple of things strike me in reaction To what you just said Sarah. One is that it reminds me of the presence of a number of violence prevention groups in Chicago which do good work and which have exhausted now Mm -hmm. their philanthropic funding and are turning rightly in my opinion to the city of Chicago and its budget process. Um, One of these uh, violence prevention groups and It's not just a soundbite. They uh, have wraparound social services in about five different areas, starting with street outreach ambassadors, then extending to personal counseling, uh, job counseling, and educational counseling, and even job placement. Um, And they do good work. Uh, they're not guaranteed of success, but we in Chicago should guarantee them of a chance to yes. do their work.
0: Yes, give them the wind behind their backs, please.
1: <laughs> yes, and there's a price to that, which mm-hmm. has been estimated in Chicago at about $150 million a year. Now, our city budget this fiscal year, the one ending now, is $12.8 billion. Um. In that budget, the uh, violence prevention groups as a whole got only 36 million. They estimate they need 150 million because there are 15 neighborhoods in Chicago, 15 out of the city's 77 neighborhoods. And we're very distinct about our neighborhoods here. They have clear boundaries, clear names, clear identities, and a lot of neighborhood pride in Mm -hmm. each neighborhood. Uh, there are 15 neighborhoods that are very violent and need uh, a full-on violence prevention mm-hmm. network operating each year. And the cost for each of those 15 would be about $10 million per year. That's how you arrive at $150 million. Um, so this is an area that needs further emphasis. Uh, the city government should find a way to carve out some money. Uh, sufficient to what's needed. But when you talk about the violence that occurring, it also makes me think of the individual, the power and the role of the individual, and the the idea of agency of the individual. Now, my, I'll call it a dime store psychological analysis, since I'm not a licensed psychologist, um, young men are frustrated. Young men in Chicago exchange taunts Uh, More than taunts, uh, they exchange, you know, very disrespectful raps, actually, and they post them on social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is sad to say that social media is very much at the heart of a good proportion of the violence in Chicago. And here's how it breaks down. There's a particular style of rap called Chicago Drill, which is rather unfortunately named if you If you ask me um and uh, guys get up there and do raps and disrespect their gang rivals and then what happens is the rivals literally come gunning for them but (sighs) they don't just go after the guy they go to the block where the guy lives and they spray the block. exactly spray the block with bullets and it's horrendous this is how grandmothers sitting in their living room end up dead yes uh, and, and the children and so, on the street
0: and everything else. it's like it's almost like you know cutting off the arm <laughs> to despite oneself you know people don't realize they are hurting themselves this is yes. you know it's like is this working for you if you stopped and asked every one of them to say is this working for you or so so kill so and so and then you went and killed them and then they're retaliating mm-hmm. against you is this system working now, a lot of them don't live long enough to even know whether it's working or not. But there are always what I call the the shoot stirrers that are capitalizing on this in some form or other, right? Mm-hmm. That it keeps, uh, it keeps, it's in their interest to keep these people at each other. And when you talk about this community that's going around and helping, when are we going to see the police working with the social workers and the organisations coming together, where the police have got their back, and the, re- the resolution isn't shoot first and ask questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if we could see the police as being something more peaceful instead of more threatening, we, you know, we mm-hmm. we take away that uh, expectation that the moment they see me, they're going to kill me, um, mm-hmm. and I have no voice. And where the police are seen working with this organization, we're here to make sure that it doesn't go wrong. We're here as support. And we want to change this whole environment. But I think what happens in the cycle of this violence is they've stepped out of heart because you can't knowingly go and hurt another out of spite or out of this, out of that when you're in heart. They've stepped out of heart. They've stepped into bitterness. And they're so caught up in this belonging to the gang that Mm -hmm. a sense of belonging and that you're hurting my territory I'm going to hurt you and they don't realize they don't know how to break that cycle they don't know how to come together in peace and if anybody steps up and says is enough let's have peace boom let's take you out of the equation so how do you just put a blanket over the whole thing of it and say calm down mates Mm
1: -hmm. this
0: isn't working you've become the murderers that you say you're against.
1: Indeed, I think part of it goes to um, willingness to adapt and innovate. I know that sounds odd, but when I think of a young man whose uh, sense of self-worth is so fragile that a disrespectful video
2: Mm. posted
1: to Twitter or Instagram is enough to rock his own world into chaos, I think that young man uh, believes that he lacks possibilities for the future. That in other words, if he allows himself to be dissed, and that is the term, right? Mm -hmm. If he allows himself to be dissed by a gang rival, his world will fall apart, so he must respond with force and authority. And as you say, there is no future in that. Eventually, it will catch up with you.
0: You'll all be dead.
1: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, right now, now, there's so many layers here, though. I have to tell you, among the good news stories that I uncovered was that in one neighborhood of Chicago called Pullman, where they used to build railroad sleeper cars starting back Mm -hmm. in the late 1800s, George Pullman, the Pullman sleeper Mm -hmm. cars, very famous. That neighborhood then went downhill economically by the middle of the 1900s and uh, was very hard hit economically. They had a comeback there with a big economic redevelopment project, but... One of the big pieces was a micro-lending program by uh, an organization called the Chicago Neighborhood Initiative, and uh, Black ex-convicts are increasingly getting loans for twenty dollars or $40,000 a pop to buy one or two uh, Sprinter delivery vans, and mm. one of the companies that has come into the new industrial park there on redeveloped uh, steel mill land, a shut down steel mill, uh, is Amazon with mm-hmm. a huge distribution center. Now I know it's very popular for some people to bash Amazon, yes. never minding the convenience and mm-hmm. the fact yes. that we most of us shop there. Yeah. Uh, some of us almost incessantly, um, and. Uh, what we've seen is that a lot of people are finding a new life, even ex-convicts working long hours, admittedly very long hours, running their own companies, their mm-hmm. own delivery services, feeding off the Amazon distribution centers, which are popping up all over metropolitan right. Chicago. Good. And here's, here's the thing, though. In 10 years, if, 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 if the soothsayers are right, those delivery vehicles may be outmoded and drones will be making the final Mm. miles delivery. Let's suppose for the sake of discussion that that might happen, right? Well, then it becomes important to, for instance, know how to operate a drone panel. And that takes you right back to education, technology, lifelong learning and training. And so this is my own roundabout way of saying that those young men who think their world depends upon responding to an insulting video really do need to step back and think about the bigger picture yeah. and skill skills acquisition, long-term economic life, uh, and so forth. And I think the parents have to play a role here and you know there's a whole nother discussion I won't launch into now, but I'll I'll, I'll end this by saying, Vocabulary acquisition is something that is utterly, utterly crucial in terms of basic intellectual and educational development. And we know this, there have been plenty of articles and educational science research. The more words that a parent can introduce into a toddler's life, the more the toddler's mind will grow. And when parents don't do that, and when they're largely absent, and when there is no father in the home, when four-fifths of births to Black women in Chicago are to unmarried women, and that was the case for 11 years when the city measured that data, there's a problem when that happens, yeah. and and so there's we another need there's to another listen.
0: problem that that uh, that is very statistic of uh, of America that I don't know how far back this goes, but seventy percent of those incarcerated are foster children.
2: Oh, and
0: really? if you look at that, these these are the children that are taken away from the single mothers. These are the children where the parents uh, have neglected their children. You know, for me, it's always about why are we not putting the time and money in the families in helping them be better parents, you know, have the job, the roof over their head? What do they need to know in raising this child instead of them trying to navigate it without the information and the child's abused or neglected or this or that and taken away? And we know about the foster care system. I've done quite a number of shows on it on, you know, on how bad it can be and uh, these are the children that then turn to the gangs for a a sense of belonging Mm because the gang would go come on you know I'll look after you you know you belong here and then next thing you know gun put in the hand you've got to go and prove yourself by going killing someone to be a part of the gang so you know there they're just wanting to belong a family someone Mm -hmm. to care and love them and then Mm -hmm. you know the, the illusion of the gang doing that and then turning them so let's look I have an entire series of, uh, you know, uh, the Forgotten Children series, which is about the way we raise our children is the way we're going to see our adults. And we don't put enough time in our children. And a lot of that comes economics where they can't afford two parents are working or working several jobs. Who's looking after the kid, right? Where is that time in raising a child? And the lack of support as a whole family or even as a community raising those children, where if you don't have, a a spouse or another partner there that the community can step in and be there. You know, in my day, the community looked out for you and they also called you out on things. Right. And we don't see that now because everybody hides behind the doors out of fear. So we need to step outside of those doors and we need to as a community go, we don't want this problem. So let's get to the children and the families when they're young. And prevent it there, because your gang leaders are, you know, very smooth, very smooth talkers, and will take those children that don't feel they belong, and, and you know, entice them in. And the next thing you know, they're caught up in a world they can't leave.
1: I'm continuing to do interviews, and just yesterday was speaking to a new source, uh, a woman who grew up on the south side, and she made that very point, Sarah, that back. Back in the day, and mm-hmm. she's 48 now. So when she was growing up in the 1980s in a very tough neighborhood called Englewood, mm-hmm. Englewood was the neighborhood that inspired Spike Lee's movie Chirac, mm-hmm. uh, which is an eye opener. That the neighbor ladies, the older ladies, you know, she said, Miss Lula, Miss Jane, if they saw you misbehaving, they would they would smack you. <laughs> They would smack you. And there was no hesitation amongst parents or older neighbor ladies or even older siblings to whoop your ass, as I was told. (laughs) Um, It happened. And, you know, uh, last fall, when I was on the South Side, I was talking to a young Latino man in his late 30s, married with three children working hard, holding the family together. And he said to me something very similar. He said, you know, Mexican families in Chicago, boy, the kids get yelled at a lot. You know, if you mess up the third time, you're going to get a weapon. Um, And, you know, he said, when you're a kid and your parents tell you, I'm doing this for your own good, Mm -hmm. you think it's a load of bull. But when he got older, He realized that it was important, and um, it was putting the kid on the
0: straight and narrow, right? Yeah, (laughs) letting them know there were consequences for their actions.
1: Exactly, consequences, and the thing is, now in our criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. it's it's very hard to find the right balance. I think that I find myself sympathizing a little bit with some of the progressive uh, judges and prosecutors. Who are coming from a place where they believe first and foremost that time spent in the in the prison system only makes young men more hardened right they make more connections learn,
0: learn to be criminal
1: yeah they mm-hmm. make more connections and when they come out they just get deeper into it yes. i understand that problem on the other hand they've gone too far in in another direction which is now we have something called bail reform, which has gone totally south. It was intended to uh, provide for release of nonviolent first-time offenders on low cash or no cash bail. You know, you would not have to pay ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars to get out before a trial. You might only have to pay five hundred dollars. If, if you're a first-time nonviolent offender, that's fine. But if you're a repeat offender yeah. and you're let out easily, what you do all too often in Chicago is you go and commit more of the same crimes. Right. If you're a carjacker and they mm-hmm. let you out on low cash or no cash bail, all too often, these young men go out and do more of the same before they've even faced trial on the first charge. And it's, it's really reached a rather chronic state. Yes. So yeah. that's, that's, that's a really big problem here. Right. Um,
0: I mean, you know, there they're too soft and in jail they're too hard. You know, there's yeah. a, I think it was Norwegian jail where they talk about, they rehabilitate the criminals. Uh, Mm. They look at what their aptitudes are. They go through, you know, um, psychological things and they help them uh, build a career so that when they do come out, they're actually going to then be productive in society, ready to go and immerse into society where we Mm. see, as you said, you know, the the whole defense in in jail is that they don't get raped or they don't get murdered or don't get shanked. And, Mm. you know, that uh, needing someone to protect you because, you know, the fear of the gangs in there and, you know, and it's teaches them to be either better criminals or shut down altogether. Yeah. And they come out yeah. ill-equipped to get back into society and be productive. So we, you know, there with the, the one side, they're too soft and on the other side, they're not doing enough in that rehabilitation. So, that when they do come back into society, they can contribute because every single one of us on this planet is meant to contribute to the well being of, of humanity and all life on this planet.
1: There's a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago called Woodlawn, it's just south of Hyde Park, where I grew up, near the University of Chicago. Um, And there is a a pastor there named the Reverend Corey Brooks and New Beginnings Church and a nonprofit he runs called Project Hood, which stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny. And I write about Pastor Brooks in my book. He's doing some great things. One of them is that this summer, 18 black women Graduated from a training course as electricians, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. He's also running a construction industry training program for young men and women. That's been going on a long time. Uh, he he runs parenting classes. Mm-hmm. Uh he's trying to raise 25 million through his 501c3 nonprofit for a community center that is mostly a job training center for auto mechanics, for construction industry workers and for hospitality mm-hmm. industry workers. It would include three restaurants. Mm-hmm. And this would be on the site of a hotel formerly, you know, notorious for prostitution and drug use in 2011. Pastor Brooks decided to camp out on the roof of this hotel, which is across the street from his church, until he could raise $500,000 U.S. to buy the property and tear it down. He succeeded with the help of his congregation, and now the next step is to build something that endures Uh, on that very site, and that's where the community center and job training center would come in. So I had a chance to sit down with him at length and and talk to him about his life and his path to this sort of social activist Mm -hmm. ministry, Um, and he sought it out. He sought out a church in a neighborhood that was experiencing a lot of trouble, trial, and tribulation. And uh, he's been making a world of difference. So this was one more yeah. uh, uplifting story. And, and there were others uh, as well.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, there are people out there that are willing to step up. You know, sometimes they just need a leader. I need people who can come in and do that. I can do that, you know, and mm-hmm. invite them in. Because ultimately, we are all responsible for what goes on in our community.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And if there is violence there, then how are we going to turn the violence around? What turns the violence around? Everybody's looking for a meaningful purpose. Everybody's looking to belong. Everybody's looking for that economic structure that gives them a roof over the head, food in their stomach and dignity, right? And Mm -hmm. if we can offer that, then that is a way away from the gangs, away from the prostitution, away from the violence, because there's so much more being offered to them. Than what is currently being offered to them. So it is an investment not only for the city to do, but investment for the community to do. And say, yes, I want to get behind this, I want to be a part of it, I want to, you know, support it, because the the way out of the violence is to actually give people an option where they can have self-dignity, meaningful purpose, and a sustainability in their lives. If we don't offer that, they're going to be angst or they're going to be frustrated or they're going to be enticed to the other side of the world. And that other side of that world is violence.
1: I agree. And I think a good piece of this also has to do with how we manage public education in cities like Chicago. And let me try and give you a quick overview of, the problem here and some of the solutions which are arising. The problem is pretty state straightforward. The Chicago K-12 through public schools on the whole have very dismal performance indicators. Um, only about one quarter of students are meeting national standards on the key tests. Um, and so the question becomes, what are the alternative approaches to your standard plain vanilla public schools?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One alternative has been what are called public charter schools. The teachers unions do not like them. The charter, I think, you know, this refers to sort of an operating um, an operating manual, a statement of principles and methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teachers do not have to belong to the teacher's union. The school day can be three hours longer. Right. The school year can be two months longer. It's uh, The schools make their own rules and frankly often set the bar higher. Mm-hmm. For minority students, for Black and Latino students in Chicago, they and their parents have flocked Toward charter schools. The enrollment figures for charter schools have grown more than 50% mm-hmm. in the last 10 years, while the overall enrollment for Chicago public schools, which is predominantly regular public schools of various types, has continued to plummet. It went down again this year at the beginning of the year. People are voting with their feet and leaving. So yeah. One other piece of the solution set is private schools. And interestingly, here in Illinois, as in 28 other US states or territories, we have essentially a public subsidy for private schools. Now to some, this sounds uh, heretical because uh, it would seem to violate the separation of church and state, Mm -hmm. right? if if you're getting a public subsidy to send your kid to a Catholic school, some people would say that's not right, but this has been tested in the courts time and again. And so you end up with many states doing this either directly through something called school vouchers or through uh, a tax, state income tax credit. So here's a deal in Illinois if you as a private citizen decide you want to give a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars to invest in kids uh, you will get a 75 percent tax credit on your state income tax payment <clears throat> and invest in kids is a program set up by the state of illinois where the money is is funneled into a good organization a scholarship granting organization That then shovels the money out to deserving recipients, mostly low income minority students, Mm -hmm. and gives these families money for the children to go not to the Chicago public schools, but instead to go to a Catholic school, a Muslim school, Mm. a Jewish school or an independent private school. And the kids love this. So we have a five year pilot program it needs to be turned into a permanent program. There are other solutions too, which include homeschooling, which has grown from 3% to 10% of the populace in the United States, of the student population. There's even something that arose during COVID called micro schools, which is a whole nother thing. So uh, there are alternatives. And it's not just about this stale battle. We end up in sometimes here in the states, this great controversy over public charter schools, which are a real flashpoint because the teachers' union and their defenders uh, are so opposed to them. But uh, we have to do better on public education is my broader point.
0: Right. You know, when we look at technology, literally day by day, it's advancing at such a huge scale. And our young people can adapt to it very quickly. Most of our teachers can't, you know, because it's how do they keep up to it? it? You know, why are we not teaching the kids where they're at? and I mean where they're at is where they're at with the technology Where how can this well let's face it in the future they're going to be more technical jobs out there than other jobs so why are we not teaching our kids uh you know the interest in technology the advancement in technologies why uh, I mean I see an awful lot of schools have stopped doing the um sorry the word is here it's not coming out but you know training uh training on the job type thing what's mm-hmm. the word for that do you know what I mean I'm there I can't get it I'll come out in a moment but you know where the schools can can do mechanics can do this that etc where they actually are getting training for a job of interest where they can try it out you know take mm-hmm. a course in the school I really am interested in that I'd like to go further with it or no this isn't for me I'm going to try something else but everything is about these certain grades and it's an old-fashioned way of teaching and we're not engaging our children because it's archaic In the way that we're teaching them, we're not teaching them something that they're going to use or want to use five years, 10 years or whatever from now, we have to meet them where they're going to be in five years. And technically, we need to really get that in there when that training and uh, have them experience different types of careers firsthand to find out whether it's something that's a fit for them. Because they go off to, if lucky, if they go off to university or college, and very often they go, oh, well, that's you know that sounded good, but it's not really for me. Why can't they have the experiences through through school themselves, you know, participation in something?
1: Couldn't agree more. One of the things we have here, and I'm sure there's corollaries to this in in all other mm. advanced modern nations. Uh, Here they call it career and technical education. In other words, you may not be going to get a bachelor's degree in biology, you know, or a master's degree in chemistry or into pre-law or pre-medicine in college after high school. Maybe you're actually most interested in becoming an auto mechanic, you know, or a phlebotomist, for example. There are high school uh, whole high schools vocational high schools that will put you on track for these kinds of jobs but some interesting things have been observed mastery still of, of math and reading are crucial yes and uh, the Chicago public Schools actually convened an expert symposium with some people from Harvard and elsewhere the the um, And what they found was, for example, uh, you need a second-year college reading level to be an auto mechanic because Mm -hmm. you have to read so much of the manuals in order to know how to repair different models. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff involved Even the
0: computer science nowadays in the car, right? Yes. (laughs) I was
1: going to say electronics and even computers because that's how automobiles are these days. Um, So mastery of the basics still matters. But more than that, what a number of people within the Chicago public school system said at the time of this uh, symposium was what they are hearing from employers too is that a lot of young people are coming in lacking the soft skills Mm. needed in employment. And this is stuff that sounds very basic and some people might be surprised to hear it. But uh, what school officials were hearing from employers was that too many uh, young people are coming in, not understanding the importance of punctuality, right? Of how they dress,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of looking people in the eye, of knowing how to shake someone's hand, mm-hmm. even you know basic human relations yeah. in the workplace. A lot of kids slash young adults are missing this component and
0: the social and skills, employers yeah.
1: say if they had that we could work on the rest right we could exactly. work on the skills piece yeah. yeah but you can't come in uninterested in, in the most basic stuff
0: no and you know what the word I was thinking of is apprenticeship um, ah, and you know yeah. one of the things that we could teach in this skill uh, in this in the schools is uh, social interaction um, you know, I've mm-hmm. done numerous shows on relationships whether it's relationships in business or in you know spouses or children every single mm-hmm. thing we do is a relationship first with self and then that mm-hmm. self that we bring to the relationship with everybody else if you have people that are constantly on the defense and in your face man why should I you know that lack mm-hmm. of self-respect mm-hmm. that that um this relationship with self is going to be what you are putting out to everyone else. It's the reflector. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they don't realize the harm they're doing themselves. You know, like, I don't need to do that. I'll do it if I want to. And that's where they've Mm -hmm. got, when they don't realize the repercussions of that down the road. Now, if right from the word go, from kindergarten, from home, from preschool, we could teach the thing of respect, listening to one another, truly hearing one another, Um, respecting the differences, how to actually speak to one another and care for one another, then that becomes kind of the standard that people will grow up in of actually being interested in other people and interested in putting their best foot forward. But we don't teach that. We don't teach that. What happens is becomes the teacher's the damn phone, right?
1: You know, funny you should mention that because what you were saying was making me think of several things One was the need, in the end, to limit social media usage Mm
2: -hmm. by
1: children, uh, to learn to relate to people Mm -hmm. the old-fashioned way. Another thing that this was making me think of was reading books rather than reading your smartphone. Yeah, exactly.
0: How many people today, kids, don't know actually how to put pen and paper together? They don't know how to write. Oh,
1: it's... It's, it's fairly chronic. I mean, yeah. one greatly risks sounding like an old fogey, you know, because there, <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> yeah. You know, kids these days, I... my gosh, they can't put a sentence together. No, and yeah, it, it's everything true. is an emoji talk. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. And I mean, you're instantly going to sound like somebody's old geezer grandpa. But you know what? i don't care i'll be that guy because it matters yes when in my father my father uh was a university professor and even back in the 70s and 80s uh, he was appalled at the inability of students yeah. and these are students at the university of chicago right. let's be clear um which you know could not put a coherent sentence or paragraph or paper together. Their mastery of the English language was virtually nil. So I'd I'd say we've got a problem there. Yeah. And it's. uh, But this
0: is where, you know, they kind of, they've they've come to worship the celebrities. But what we're seeing is an awful lot of celebrities are now taking on the responsibility and saying, this may be my fame. Right. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, I have mental disorders, or I have problems, or I have this or that. And, you know, I, um, I want to respect one another. And the thing is, they're idolized, but therefore, they have that responsibility to represent. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing so much more talk on Things like depression and anxiety, you know, things mm-hmm. on uh, the struggles that I had to get here. Um, we're seeing mm-hmm. so much of that dialogue, which then gives permission to other people to start having the conversation. And so mm-hmm. the more they are subjected to that, the more they're going to be able to find a way to articulate. And one mm-hmm. of the problems with cryptic talk, or um, emoji talk, is mm-hmm. that it's an abstinence of really being able to speak how you feel.
1: I think you're right, and I think that's a very positive development. I think, and this is shifting the topic just a little bit, but I don't want to leave out the importance of good governance in our cities. I think that uh, the northern cities in the United States are the old line cities, the Mm -hmm. ones that were industrialized in the early part of the 19th century, New York, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, and they are losing right now. Mm -hmm. They are losing out to places like Jacksonville, Florida, Dallas and Phoenix, Chattanooga and Nashville. These are the places where everyone is moving, including Iowa uh, and Utah, because taxes are lower, the streets are safer, the schools work and the court systems work. I'm very concerned, Sarah, about the lack of civic engagement in Chicago. And when you look at a city where the registered voter turnout in local elections is 33%, that's all.
0: My God. It is
1: shocking. I went back and checked the data from the official city records and I compared it to how that same electorate turned out during presidential elections. Mm -hmm. And that very same batch of voters from just within the city of Chicago, 70% of them show up to vote in our presidential elections. Now, you may ask, why that big gap? Um, Part of it is people are more interested in presidential elections than local elections. But here's another reason. The city elections are held in odd-numbered years in February and April of the year, whereas our presidential elections are you know, a big deal every, every four years in an yeah. even numbered year.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think we need to change the scheduling of our city of Chicago elections. And in Illinois, we would have to do that through state legislation, but that goes to a larger issue. The revolving door in local crime
2: mm-hmm. is
1: due to judges who make poor decisions. Well, we elect our judges yeah. here and in most places, and we need to pay closer attention in cities like Chicago to who it is we're electing. Um, as judges, do they believe that you know a serious crime deserves serious punishment or not? Because what we see now, and I have to tell you how bad it's gotten, Criminals are acting with impunity. Mm -hmm. Um, There are bands of organized shoplifters who go into nice stores, beauty supply stores, high-end boutiques, often downtown now on Michigan Avenue in our high-end shopping area. And they clear off the shelves of designer handbags Mm -hmm. or beauty supplies. They're captured on videos. The security guards do nothing. And because their net take is under $1,000 US, they're not prosecuted. Our prosecutor decided that. Um, We have much worse stuff happening. We have this carjacking Mm. uh, pandemic in Chicago, and now they use the carjacked vehicles to commit other crimes. So we have armed robbery crews jumping out of cars downtown robbing tourists and city dwellers of their phones and wallets and more. Uh, Some carjackings turn into murders very quickly. Um, The shootings seem to never stop. Um, So we have to elect a better class of officials, but when only one third Mm -hmm. of registered voters are even showing up, I would say we need a bottom-up well, there's
0: two things I want to address there. One is if people aren't turning up, then clearly the officials aren't doing their job. And, you know, what we see time and time mm-hmm. again is the officials. It's more about the people who are wanting to put them in, in place, the lobbyists, um, you know, and we're, we're right. seeing we're seeing faces talking, but we're not believing the action. Because what we're not seeing is those, you know, people representing their community, being community people and speaking to the community kind of a lot of the time becomes the ego. So if you do have somebody that really is really wanting to make a difference and be connected, they've kind of been clumped together along with everybody else. I just don't believe you. The other thing I think that is huge and is something that has to be addressed in America. Why are the rights to have guns bigger than the rights of lives. The gun situation mm-hmm. has to be dealt with. Nobody should have access to an AK7. Why are these people so easily getting mm-hmm. hold of guns? Why is that security guard not going to do anything? Because most likely he'll get shot if he steps up, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we have <clears throat> we have a tube, we have the gun situation that is huge and a Pandora box. And most certainly has to be dealt with um, because people without guns find it harder to kill, to shank someone or to stab someone or to kill someone with your bare hands is a totally different thing than just taking out a gun and going. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is if you want people to be elected, then they've got to be more electable.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the guns I think sadly the supply the supply is not going to cease um Chicago police are taking away thousands of illegal guns uh, from suspects over the course of a year and it's important work it it probably reduces the number of shootings and killings significantly but the, the hard part is that the supply chain just never stops. <laughs> there are no ships stuck off the coast of Long Beach <laughs> with guns, you know, that's other consumer goods. Um, and they just keep coming. I also learned yesterday talking to uh, uh, this woman from the South side, a new interview that I was doing you know what's going on now? People are building their own guns at home. You 3D. can buy the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's 3D printing, but they're not, even, they're not even doing that. That takes a little bit of money to, right. to have a 3D printer. But people are ordering the parts one by one through mail order. And surprise, surprise, there are videos on YouTube. Oh, of course.
2: Explaining
1: <sighs> how to do this. So, you know, human ingenuity, such as it is, you know arises up no matter what the challenge and so to me uh this may be an old-fashioned take i think in the end it it does go back to the individual how do we raise our children to begin with yes and i have to tell you (laughs) yeah personally I, i do not own a gun although honestly i've thought about it since coming back to chicago i have my own way of getting by on the streets which is to look at tough guys straight in the eye and nod once, nod once, acknowledge them and show respect. Right. And I've found that it works remarkably well. However, I'm not in a rival gang mm-hmm. and being a, a white man of a certain age, they can probably tell that I'm not somebody who's about to get all up in their business. Um, but I, I think that what you really uh, uh, have to do is remember that many people do own guns here in the United States and are extremely responsible with them. They never use them in an unintended way. And so I think more than call for greater restrictions through the law on gun ownership, uh, it is more a question of how people are raised and what sorts of values they have to begin with. A gun in the hands of a bad person and turn into a deadly weapon. A gun in the hands of a well-raised, uh, respectful person is not so much a problem, and in fact, may save somebody's life, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it goes back It goes back to the root of the problem, and that's how yeah. we raise our children. It goes yeah. back to the economic problem. It goes back to the color of the skin. It goes mm-hmm. back to, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the culture thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And if we
0: could recognize all these cultures, You know, it doesn't matter. Black, white, pink, yellow, polka dot, who cares? It's Mm -hmm. your human being. And how are we going to treat each other? And if we can teach our children right from the word go to respect the differences of each other, to Mm -hmm. listen and learn about those differences, right? And why they're different from yours, to be open in conversation, uh, to um, value life above all, value their Mm -hmm. own life, and learn to step into not only the love of self, but the love of life and their contribution to it And to realize that it doesn't matter what age you are, you are contributing. Mm -hmm. You have got to contribute. This is the contribution is uh, our, our license to live on this planet. It's part of Mm -hmm. your community, whether you're just on the corner, uh, as an old person smiling at everybody going by or sharing a story that's contributing. Even Mm -hmm. a baby contributes when they smile and giggle and make everybody else smile and giggle around them. Mm -hmm. But if we don't teach that respect, if we don't teach the art of communication, if we don't teach um, self-value, then we're Mm -hmm. never going to reach that love vibration, which is the one where we can't really harm anybody else. We're going to constantly create this spiral problem, which is only going to get worse. Mm
1: -hmm. I agree. I think of a guy named Daryl Smith. I met Daryl Smith last year when I came back to do this book. He served three years at the age of 18 for involuntary manslaughter. He was driving a car when some bad stuff happened. When he came out, he faced a fork in the road and he chose the straight life and went to work. And now he's a 51-year-old black man living in Englewood on the south side and he owns 10 residential properties. He's uh, run tow trucks, he's worked at flea markets, he Mm -hmm. learned about that from his father, buying used goods, refurbishing them Mm -hmm. and reselling them. He sings the gospel of opportunity. He says, if you can't make it in Chicago, you can't make it anywhere. Mm -hmm. He talks about his grandfather who came up from the deep south, from the Mississippi Delta, had only a sixth grade education, but turned into a property magnate Mm. of a sort in the neighborhood. He was not a fancy man. He worked in the steel mill. He came home at night, took a bath. His wife put dinner on the table, and then he went out to repair furnaces and boilers Mm. in neighbors' houses. He invested his money in something called an annuity, although he only had a sixth grade education. He knew about that, saved his money, and he found over time that people in the neighborhood wanted to sell their apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And so he started buying them. This was back in the day before there even were realtors, Mm -hmm. and he bought a number of them. And then Daryl's father um, did the same thing. So at a certain point, Daryl inherited some wealth and he created more wealth of his own. And now he owns 10 uh, apartment buildings each, two or three units, up to six units for some of them. He could move to the suburbs into a large fancy house, mm-hmm. but he prefers to stay in Englewood. But you know, I got to thinking because if it were a white guy who had inherited mm-hmm. a whole bunch of properties, we would be throwing around the phrase, some of us here in Chicago, the phrase white privilege. Mm-hmm. So I had to stop and ask myself, let me see, does my friend Daryl benefit from black privilege? Mm-hmm. And some people would say there could be no such thing. Here's what I concluded. He benefits from a family's life well lived. Right. And that's, that's what we want well what we all want somebody who really
0: participated in their community right and that's the thing wherever you are living this is your your patch your home right you want it to be peaceful for your children our generation played out in the street Mm -hmm. right we'll go home at dark and we you know we can ride our bikes anywhere and we, we didn't have to worry Nowadays, we don't want to open our front door for our children. We have to keep an eye on them all the time. And it's like, no, we want to, that is a value. It's not going back to, you know, to, you know, the dark ages. It's going back to that kind of value where we know the community is looking out for each other's children, that we're not worrying about sexual offenders or gang leaders or, you know, anything else out there uh, or bad drivers or drive-by shootings and all of that. The only way we're Mm -hmm. going to cure that is that if everybody steps up and says enough is enough, what is the solution? How do I get behind it? How do we all participate in the cure of mm-hmm. the problem and not just moan about the problem?
1: I- indeed, and, and that transfers over to the political realm. We suffer right? also. But, don't, in sh- but,
0: but, but hang on a second. Don't the political mm-hmm. always um, mirror the community if the community says i want this i'm doing this then the government yes. goes well this is working let's adopt it so very often i think the community is the one that tells the government what we need it's now up to the government to listen to the community
1: the two were <clears throat> in- intertwined mm. and we had a saying here in the In the golden olden days of the 1960s, you know, the personal is political, right? Mm. So if people are engaged at the community level, at the family Mm. level, and as parents, you will end up with a better politics in your locality because the investment is already occurring. Yes. Uh, If people are more engaged as parents, they will more likely vote. Um, Right. I mean- But you still need some sort of overarching plan Mm -hmm. uh, in a place like Chicago. We need here, in my opinion, uh, a rebranding of a political, of a reform party. We have non-partisan I think he elect- across
0: the country. Quite honestly, yes. across the world, you know, politics Very has much. got out of hand. It really has.
1: Very much, but <laughs> yeah. then, what does reform mean? That mm. would be the great debate and dialogue. Here, yeah. I think it means it. It means a lot of things. It means getting a handle on the 170 billion our city will owe pensioners over the mm. next several decades, with virtually none of that money secured. So they are raising mm. our taxes. And mm. fees dramatically, causing a black and white exodus right. from the city. Um, it means uh, committing to more foot patrols by mm. the police instead of having them just ride around in their cars. You talked and only show up after a crime is committed.
0: Oh, bring out talk- the guns the moment they're there instead of yeah. you know well, being the community happens. cop. Yeah.
1: Yes. You talked earlier about the need to rebuild trust between Mm -hmm. police and the community. And I agree. That's a huge priority. I think that if cops are out on foot patrol on a regular basis, particularly in the most high crime neighborhoods, they begin to be seen as human beings. And the people in the community, conversely, begin to be seen more by the police as human beings, rather than just as suspects and victims. And
0: converse. They learn to converse with each other. The police get to know what the community (laughs) needs, and they can take that back to the politicians, right? And what the community needs. We're not listening to each other.
1: No, no, (laughs) no, no. And solving crimes, right? Getting the tips that you need. Mm -hmm. People are notoriously loath to provide information to police in cities like Chicago, when they see the gunman pull the trigger or they see the armed robber commit the robbery, they will not share that information with the police because they fear retaliation. That's a deep problem. I can't say I have an easy solution to that one right now, but I can say that if police are out there doing foot patrols regularly in the most High crime neighborhoods, they can start to build relationships that in the long run will help them solve more crimes. Because we have a very bad problem here. It's not just that we have a lot of crime. We have a lot of unreported crime. Yeah. And then a great proportion of all of the crime is unsolved. Right. Right. And that builds so
0: there... bitterness and revenge and everything else. It's always a yeah. vicious cycle. You know, the thing is we we like to point a finger. At the government. Well, the government should do something about it. Well, the street thinkers pointing back at us. No, the exactly. community and the governments need to work together, mm-hmm. right? We elect the government to represent our needs. But mm-hmm. how do they know what we need if we're not paying attention to what we need and communicating with the government? If mm-hmm. The government needs to listen to what the, the community needs and the community needs to know, it's not all up to the government. We have to participate too. This is a partnership. And Mm -hmm. it can't be about um, ego in the government. It can't be about power. It can't be about who's buying you. It's got to be you are working for your community. You are an employee. You're here in service of that community. Know your community. And community, step out and communicate with your government and start looking together how you can resolve these issues. If you don't come together, then it's always going to be disconglobulated.
1: Too often here in Chicago, it is about power and who's Mm. buying you. Uh, Yes. There is an art of compounding political power here. Once you get elected for a certain type of official, the objective becomes to retain and grow your power. Yeah. And that's really the be all and end all of your existence as a politician and then you find yourself consorting with, you know, contractors and vendors, yes. the same people who are giving you campaign contributions. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, it sounds cynical, but failure is the success strategy for the political class of Chicago, because the more they fail, the fewer people show up to vote. And the ones who do show, show up are those who benefit. Yeah, They are members of the public employee unions, who benefit from continuing pension payments that mm. we're going into hoc governmentally to pay for. And they are the employees of large contracting firms who get sweet deals from their insider yes. friends uh, in government. So, so we actually uh,
0: had to change how the whole electoral thing is done. Like, mm. you know, in, in England, it's capped at a certain amount of money. So therefore mm. they can't be bought. Special mm-hmm. interests can't go in there. So let's look at the entire electoral you know, uh, premises there and go, okay, no. People can't come in and contribute mm-hmm. and buy because we know when, when they're putting a whole load of money behind someone, they're buying them, right? So if we take that mm-hmm. out of it altogether, and then maybe it's only the community funds that are behind people, mm-hmm. and it's capped at a certain level, we're not going to receive ridiculous 700 or ten hundred million you know, um, for, to, for one election, right? Which is ridiculous. That mm-hmm. money could go back into the communities and go back into the pension funds, cap it, mm-hmm. keep the lobbyists and the special interests out of it, and let it truly become a community thing. You'll get more people voting again. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a thought. That's been a very robust debate here in the States. Um, and there are caps in some cities. Um, At the federal level, uh, there was a huge legal case, which basically was decided in favor of the fat cats. Mm. Uh, Our our country's highest court ruled that it would be uh, uh, an unfair limitation on their freedom of political expression (laughs) to bar them from, well, that's it. (laughs) Campaign money is speech,
2: right? Campaign
1: money. Is political speech. It's only for for those who can afford
0: to to put the money into the campaign. What about everyone else? Yeah,
1: some people (laughs) can afford to speak more than others. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not good. In an ideal world, uh, we would have, in my view, and this would inflame many of my conservative friends, we would have publicly funded uh, campaigns only. No I agree with you funding
0: I agree yeah. with you one million percent yes
1: and, and there's any way
0: you're going to get really the people that are really wanting to do the work be there
2: yes
1: and term limits which yes. are controversial are a flashpoint um, but uh, too much coziness builds up mm-hmm. over time people get entrenched mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and if you look at uh, some of the uh, Chicago aldermen now under federal indictment mm-hmm. facing federal prosecution, One of them has been on our city council for 49 years.
0: Oh my God. Uh,
1: There was recently uh, the top ranking legislator in the state of Illinois, the uh, Democratic majority leader in the House of Representatives. He was not indicted, but had to step down in a scandal because many of his close associates are under federal prosecution now in a big corruption scandal. He had been in charge of the state legislature. 36 years you know and, and you can't kind of be stuff. in
0: there for that length of time without certain amount of corruption you may have yeah. gone into it with good intent but somewhere on the line those waters are going to get murky
1: uh, generally so <coughs> mm-hmm. generally so and if somebody never uh uses email or the phone that's actually uh, a tip-off
0: <laughs> yeah know, they've got something to they've hide. got a
1: system <laughs> They've got a system. They know how to avoid getting nailed. And here is the sad thing, Sarah. In Chicago and, and in Illinois and in places like Philadelphia and New York City, the aim is simply to not get caught. Yes. It's not to do good. It's to do what you want to do once elected and to not get caught. And then the corollary, and this is important, also to represent to do the kabuki theater, right? To make it appear as though you are taking care of the public's business, mouthing the right bromides. And we have an awful lot of that here, particularly around, and I should not, I should not ignore mentioning this. I go at this uh, rather forcefully in my book. This whole notion of systemic racism mm-hmm. is actually racist itself. Right. What you have is uh, now an elected political elite, largely of color in these large right. U.S. cities. And what they say is Black people are not capable. Right, Black people cannot succeed because once in this nation, there was slavery and there were other structures which discriminated against minorities. And there certainly were. And it's horrible that that happened, but now it's 2021. Mm -hmm. It's a new age. And to say that people are not capable of something because of the sins of the past (sighs) is all wrong. But this becomes a a box to check. You have to show you're woke. So if black students are are failing disproportionately in our public schools, if there is disinvestment in black neighborhoods because it's too dangerous, there's too much crime, everything is explained by our politicians, including our mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, her go-to explanation for everything is systemic racism. It becomes a way of failing to set the bar higher. It becomes a way of saying, we don't think those people are actually capable So we need to make excuses. And I can tell you, looking at the zeitgeist right now in the United States, um, there is a rising up against this. And even moderates are getting sick of the systemic racism shtick. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to say, you know what? In 2021, even with COVID, even with crime in our big cities, you make your life what it is right it's up to you
0: yes as uh, i can't remember who it is and they but they
1: understand that
0: is is that we are all part of the human race and if we mm-hmm. look at it everybody with equal opportunity despite the color economic status sexuality religion or anything else then we would actually see a society that can be that beautiful melting pot of cultures thrive mm-hmm. but why we divide and label And diminish all we're going to see is low results low expectation gets low expectation Mm -hmm. so if we actually look to being higher and i mean as you said how many people of color right now have stepped into these high positions but also what's coming up of how many people um, of color in the past we're not even written about because they were of color but look at what Mm -hmm. they created look what they invented look what they were capable of doing Mm -hmm. it's the white man's suppression of them for their own ego and their own self-interest, rather than accepting that behind the person's exterior skin, everybody is capable of something great if we water those seeds and allow them to grow.
1: There's a great duality in a city like Chicago or New York. There's greatness in our DNA here. It is still evident if you walk around in the architecture, in the neighborhoods, in the public park systems, mm-hmm. um, in, in, the, in the culture, I mean, the jazz and the blues, mm. right? I've been enjoying, and I love music. I've mm-hmm. been enjoying live music back here in Chicago and to see the huge crowds yes. turning out for public concerts again, the joy yes. of the performers to be performing and of the audience to be there. But then you think too of what's been invented here. You think Mm. of the intellectual capital, Mm. uh, the economic capital. Um, There's so much that happens in cities like this that I don't subscribe to the fatalist analysis, which says, ah, the cities are done. Stick a fork in them. First of all, we still have 2.7 million people here it's a million less than back in the year 1950 but it's still a lot of people can't go or don't want to go and we cannot just abandon our cities and our sort of collective consciousness we can't let that go because but that's you know, also 80- part of,
0: but that's part of the the mentality of people today oh it's broken just throw it away
1: yeah, uh, actually. Yeah,
0: it's waste. It's waste. We, we we're just so we've become so wasteful and over everything we do and everything that we are, is that w- what happened to there is a problem? Let's fix it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just buy something new. I'll just go somewhere new. No, you're going to go into mm-hmm. another problem there because the whole mentality has become about, ah, just check it away. I don't want to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it because everywhere is broken and we need to learn how to put it back together. Mm -hmm. That it requires all of us to step up. It Mm -hmm. requires everyone to step up requires our governments to change its practices, the electoral to change its practice, our education to change the way they're educating, to actually make it enticing for a kid to go to school, to treat them all equally. If they can't read at a certain level because it hasn't been taught in the home, don't degrade them because they can't. Entice them to want to learn to read, right? For the, for the kids that have been left behind, don't just leave them behind. Are oh, they're just going to be a statistic. Pick them up. Mm -hmm. and help them forward it's up to us as a community to do this and if you love your Chicago if you love any of your cities it's not up to just the government or la 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 it's not me no every single person has to be a part of the solution Mm
1: -hmm. couldn't agree more
0: a lot has to be fixed a lot has to be overhauled a lot has to be addressed and the more and more that we have the sweet talk or the avoidance uh, the more the problem is going to be and uh, you know i think let's turn it right back to, to when a family gets pregnant that birth of that child the the security of that home uh, is the money coming into the home is there a job there is there, are they being encouraged to spend time with their child or is everybody having to work two or three jobs to make ends meet let's go right to the root of the problem and uh, you know it may take a while, it may take even another generation to, to fix the problem. But if we show the children and we show the parents of the children that we're there for them, then we're going to see a better society down the road. And mm-hmm. the government needs to step up and support that instead of penalizing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a life-changing event to yeah. become a parent. <clears throat> yep. This is one of the things I learned. And for a lot of people, your politics also slowly start to shift a little bit mm. when you become a parent, perhaps also when you become a property owner
2: mm-hmm.
1: of a residential property, uh, when you're paying property taxes. And then you discover that your city's public schools, for which you are paying some proportion of your taxes, are not a viable option. Mm-hmm. For your children, not because you have impossibly high standards, but just because you have, have low standards. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you have reasonable standards, and the public schools in your city are still a non-starter. You start to wonder about things. Yeah. Um, I also think that the political analysis—and this is going to sound like a horrible thing—but I I notice that people who don't have children sometimes. sometimes just don't get it when it comes when it comes to the concerns that people have about uh, about crime, Mm -hmm. about public safety, about the tone and tenor of public life, uh, even about the environment, Uh, I, I think that it just changes your perspective and actually I think people who don't get it about the responsibility of parents, Mm -hmm. if you've been a parent, maybe you're one of those who ignored your duties and your child turned out poorly or not so great. Well, then you know that Mm -hmm. deep in your heart. But I think most parents see it as a life-changing, life-affirming experience. Here you are now responsible for the upbringing and even intellectual development of this being that has just landed on, you know, inside your house, it's a huge, huge thing. And I mean, when you talk about something concrete, like the introduction of new vocabulary words, right? Or mathematics skills, right? Or language skills. These are all things that are seated at a very early age We know from the experts and from our own experience that the first three years are utterly crucial. You know, how much are you you talking to your toddler? And how often is the hockey game on instead? How much are you
0: reading to them? How much are you introducing them to the beautiful graphics and words? How much are you listening to them, even if they're gobbledygook as a baby, paying attention to them, right? Interaction game.
1: There's actually a whole body of research Mm -hmm. on uh, the importance of how parents respond to children when they have a need or a concern or want to talk. Right. And if you ignore them, things turn out worse for them when they're older. And, you know, I asked uh, Latasha Fields about that on the South side in her home. She's a black woman from Louisiana who moved up to Chicago she started out as a 17-year-old single mother on welfare working in Burger King for $4.50 an hour and ended up running her own real estate company by the age of 21. Wow. Uh, she turned things around and she has raised four children and she lives on the side with her husband, Ron, who's a barber. They're good people. I sat at their kitchen table and drank sweet tea with them. And I asked her about that, you know, well, what about the explanation we hear that sometimes it's hard for parents to be there with their children because each parent is working two jobs. And she said, she said, yeah, I hear that a lot. But the question I have is whose children are they?
2: Mm-hmm. Are
1: those societies children? You know?
2: Yeah
1: those those are your children so you've got to figure it out somehow mm-hmm. or other now if if you've got a family network then that's going to help right yes there there are a lot of grandmothers who are heroes and aunts and uncles mm-hmm. too who step in and that goes to something that's timeless you know which is the importance of the clan yeah. right yes so we need to remember about those ties and we need to remember about the importance of community, which yeah. you've been stressing greatly, <laughs> that same uh, elderly neighbor lady mm-hmm. who would whip your kid's bottom when yeah. they misbehave, would also provide after school care Yes, if she was around right. and you had to be out of the house working. Mm. And those extended social networks are breaking apart more yeah. and more. And that goes back to a number of the things we've discussed, the way our life is now, mm. the fear in the big cities, yeah. the atomization of lives, right? Which is engendered, engendered by this fantastic technology that we all say we couldn't live without. And probably- Although we managed couldn't. to
2: beforehand
1: i know that's another sign of incipient <laughs> fogydom. let's not go there i remember before there were cell phones yeah i know, I
2: know I we know.
0: used this thing called dial a phone or we wrote a letter or we went and knocked on the right. door <laughs> yeah.
2: yes yeah. Writing i think letters. what
0: we've you know what we've also forgotten about is that you might not be able to give the quantity of time but it is the quality of time Mm-hmm. right and you know it, if it's that hour a day that is absolutely undivided on your child to let them know you may have to be working a lot but that hour is this and you're there to, to read to them to listen to them to nurture them and they know they cherish that hour right and they also learn that one has to work in life but it's all about let's not make the excuses, let's find the solution. And you know, the -hmm. the old adage saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Let's go Mm -hmm. back to that way of thinking. And let's as a community step up, you know, step up Mm -hmm. and help one another. Because the other way is not working.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. That's what I find myself thinking now.
0: Mm. Well, we've, Covered a great deal, and i know we could probably cover some more. But how do people get hold of the book? Uh, where did they get hold of it? And how did they get hold of you?
1: Sure, um, the book "What Next, Chicago: Notes of a Pissed Off Native Son" is available online only at Amazon and also at Barnes and Noble online. So if uh, people go to either site and simply enter "What Next, Chicago," Or if you go to Google and enter What Next Chicago, you will find the Amazon page right away. So it's easy to find online. Um, to get a hold of me, uh, people can go to my website where there is a contact, <clears throat> a contact form, uh, and there's additional writing, long form essays about uh, uh, how to make cities more viable. Uh, And it's called chicagoschooled.com, and schooled is with a K. So chicagoschooled.com with a K.
0: Right. And the graphics that you have there on your site, it's just wonderful. Is that a local artist?
1: It is. (laughs) That is a street mural on Mm. the masthead, and I love that. Thank Mm. you. It's very colorful. Great art. And it's interesting because when you look at that picture, it conveys a lot to me about uh, the hope and wisdom mm-hmm. residing within the Black community and the creative spirit and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to see the picture to understand what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Please go to the yes, site and, and see it because it's worth seeing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's from a street mural uh, in the Auburn Gresham neighborhood on the south side. I think if everybody could my take first days,
0: a, if one of your first no, days ahead. back. No, I was just saying if everybody could have an ounce of your enthusiasm for your city, an ounce mm. of it, and just mm. you know, kind of go, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to shift my perspective. I'm going to step up and do something. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change my approach. If everybody just pivoted a little bit, everybody, imagine what changes could happen.
1: Well, I, let me share one last thing with you. It goes right to that. Um, a national talk show host just the other night asked me, essentially, don't you really think there's no chance uh, that the political reforms will change Chicago? I mean, the, the attempts have been going on for years. Uh, isn't it about time to stick a fork in Chicago? Mm-hmm. It's done. And my answer to that is, you know, there are success stories everywhere in this yeah. city, and we need to shine a light on those stories and we need to support those people. Yes. In the end, although politics, here's what I think, Sarah politics and policy matter a great deal, but there is a land that is either uh, before or beyond politics yeah. that goes to the personal. It goes to how people rise to the challenge of being a spouse, of being a parent, mm-hmm. of being a worker at a time when continuing education is almost a necessity, right? Yes. So it's, it's up to us in the end. And a better politics and better public policy is merely an outgrowth of making a better effort to begin with as people... As parents, as children, as clan members, uh, and as citizens.
0: You know, let's look at Detroit quickly. You know, it uh, <clears throat> almost became a graveyard and became, you know, a very dysfunctional city. And then people fought back for it. And they mm-hmm. fought back for it and they invested in it and they supported it and they stepped up to it. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's changed around altogether. Please don't throw people. Don't throw communities, don't throw cities away just because it's, okay, it's in trouble. That is one of the biggest problems that we have in society today. Oh, I can't be bothered with it. I'll just get something new. I'll get a new friend. I'll get a a new job. I'll get a new government. No, we don't look at that. We've got to look at how do we resolve the problem? How do we step up and be part of the solution? And how do we fix things? that it serves everybody because if we don't get into the repair system when everything is going to be broken and there's going to be nothing new to be had
1: Hmm. i think innovation innovation Mm. is of the essence here and face it cities like societies are organic creatures Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. I mean, they literally shed body parts and grow new parts. Yes. They're like mute, they're like mutant creatures, but they're they're mutant creatures that, you know, that can be lovable. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we just need to embrace that change, that shedding of, of what doesn't work, and that growth of new parts and new ways of living and producing and learning that do work for us. And then everybody's
0: got to step up. It's everybody's problem. You know, I don't care if you're rich and millennial and I haven't got any kids and I don't know what you're talking about, but your car may be the one that's getting jacked. Right? And because you weren't you weren't willing to step up and look at the problem, you're now, you know, and if you lipped that person as they were hijacking your car, you might not come out of it alive, where you Mm -hmm. could have been part of the solution to prevent that problem in the first place. So Mm -hmm. everybody's in this pot. So everybody's got to step up.
1: I agree. I agree. There's there's a lot to do. I think it's important to continue to focus attention on our cities. I think that as cities go, so goes the nation.
2: Yes. Yes,
1: and and, yeah. and let's also and there are scholars and writers and journalists doing this right now. Let's look at the cities that are succeeding.
2: Yes, the one
1: the ones that are attracting population. Why is that happening? Mm-hmm.
2: And what why can are we the learn winners? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, what are why are the winners winning? Why are the losers losing population? Yeah. Um, You cannot shy away from that analysis.
0: What's the Uh, the definition of madness is to keep doing the same thing, expecting the same results. If it's not working, change it, change it, learn from other people who have have done it better, adopt Mm -hmm. it, adapt to it, but willing to change. Because if you don't change, you're going to have more of the same.
1: I think it's smart to keep an eye on New York City. Their next mayor will be a guy who seems to represent change, Mm -hmm. Eric Adams. He's a moderate centrist Democrat. He supports police and accountability at the Mm -hmm. same time. He supports school choice. He's diametrically opposite the guy who's taken New York City almost down the drain Mm -hmm. for the last several terms, Mayor Bill de Blasio so i think it's very interesting and encouraging that voters in new york city chose eric adams from a wide field Mm -hmm. including many candidates who were far to the left of him and it's primarily people of color in boroughs like queens Mm -hmm. and the bronx who are tired of crime right who don't espouse the same dismissive bromides as the white progressives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, it's those people who help propel him uh, into a likely win. He won the Democratic primary a few months ago, and uh, next month, in just a few weeks, he will face off against the Republican primary winner, Curtis Slewa, and probably Eric Adams will be the next mayor of New York when it's all over. So I would keep an eye on New York City and we, we need to throw away old stale ways of yes. thinking and governing yes. in our largest Northern cities in the US. It is the Northern cities that are stuck. It is actually the Southern cities that are open for business and that are taking care of business for the citizenry. So we have some reckoning to do up here in our older cities. Yeah. Chicago first and foremost.
0: And as I said, folks, it's not about throwing things away. It's about finding ways to, to heal, to, to fix. Mm-hmm. And that means everybody's got to step up. And that starts with, you know, who you elect are they really there to work for your city are they really there to work for the people and the community of that city and how do you get behind them in helping them succeed not stepping back and waiting for them to succeed helping them succeed so it's who you elect how you support and how you step up in your own community Mm -hmm. that's where the change happens thank you so much This has been very enlightening. I mean, you're talking about Chicago, but really you could be addressing many cities in many countries. And uh, we know the politics has gone wrong. Uh, We know that there's misrepresentation out there. We know that we have to get with the times. We know that things are failing. So, you know, it's not throw up your hands and go, oh, to hell with it. No, it's roll up your sleeves and look at what we can do about it. So thank you so much for sharing here today, Matt.
1: Sarah, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: My pleasure. And again, the site is?
1: ChicagoSchooled.com, schooled schooled with a K. -K
0: S-K-O-O-L-E-D. Dot com. And your That's social right. media and everything is there as well. Uh, please look at the site just in for the mural. <laughs> it's beautiful. But all the other articles and everything have there. Mm-hmm. And the book, you know, because the book, you reference a great deal. You may not be from Chicago, but I guarantee an awful lot of what you've written about it is probably reflected in your own state or your own community. And we've mm-hmm. just got to stop turning a blind eye and go, la, 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 Nothing to do with me, it's everything to do with you. And that means every single person has to participate participate in finding the resolution. So thanks very much, Matt. Until next time, folks. Bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on SoftDiscoveryMedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to
2: speak with you. Have a wonderful day.